Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Coach's Road podcast. Rick, I just want to take a second before I introduce, introduce today's guest. Um, it's our 26th episode, uh, which means we've been doing this for, for just about half a year. Uh, I think it's been a, a lot of fun so far. I've learned so much just about the world of coaching and skill development and uh, kind of the mental side of the game as well. And, you know, it's been, it's been a lot of fun and I can't wait to see where we're going in the next six months and beyond. So just really quick, thanks for everybody that's listened and supported uh, means a lot. And we hope to keep providing some interesting shows. So getting back to today's episode, we have on Ted Soikonen, the skills coach for HC Locomotive in the KHL. And it was a blast to talk to, to Ted today. He's really knowledgeable about kind of skill development and CLA open versus closed and everything like that. And it was, it was a lot of fun, really knowledgeable guy, lots of experience that he, he shares through the, the skill development world. And it shows why he's coaching now at the, the top level. Yeah, he's, he's very knowledgeable. I think his perspective on skill development is a very unique one, I think, because as you said as well, he has gained a lot of experience. And I think also that he thinks the game so well and he really takes logical approaches. And that's why he is coaching where he's coaching right now. I mean, he's coaching with the KHL team, he's coaching with the BHL team and he's coaching with the MHL team. And on top of that, you said it as well, that he has a very good academic background. He knows all the concepts of constraints-led approach, non-linear pedagogy. And overall, it's a very strong episode and we hope that everyone will enjoy the episode and we'll learn new things about skill development. So we'd like to welcome on Ted Soikonen to the Coaches Road podcast. Ted, thanks for joining us today. How are you doing? Well, thank you very much for having me on here. I, I enjoy all your guys' podcasts so far you've had, and uh, it's an honor to be here with you guys. And so far, it's just a normal Tuesday morning, just getting ready to go to work here in the afternoon. So all is good. Well, that's good to hear. And as a first question, we would like to ask you, what have you learned recently about skill development that you're implementing in your coaching now? Well, a lot of it now is, um, you know, over the last few years, actually, uh, trying to work more on the uh, cognitive side of the, of the game. Um, <clears throat> really trying to get inside the players' heads to make them understand with a lot more decision-making on the ice. So that it's going to be an easier transfer from what we do in our skill sessions to, uh, to their games. And what we've been seeing in the past is like you can work on a numerous number of skills over and over and over again, and they look perfect in practice. And then all of a sudden when they hit that game time, they're not, they're going right back to their old habits. So <clears throat> what it has been a, a lot more is that you're trying to use more of a constraints-based uh, approach, putting more of the players into the action and um, making them make decisions. But inside those decisions, you're hiding those skills that you're trying to work on. And then, you know, using that feedback later through uh, through video and everything else so that they're starting to understand it more. And what we're starting to see is a lot more of a flawless um, situations that are going from practice to the games and, and players feeling more confidence and actually producing better. Yeah, that's great. I think CLA and, and nonlinear pedagogy is something that uh, Rick and I talk loud, a lot about just in school and in the, in the show as well. So, you know, you're, you're now with uh, 
hockey club locomotive in the in the KHL. And can you describe a little bit about your your background and, and kind of what led you to your current position with them? My background's like I've just been traveling around the world basically my my whole adult life. Nah, you know, I, I came from the States. I grew up there and everything else like that. Uh, played junior hockey, played NCAA hockey up in Alaska. And um, in my early 20s, I decided to turn pro and came over the, to Europe because that's what I wanted to do my whole career, just being a smaller player in itself. And, um, you know, had a nice little pro career over in Europe, met my wife and everything else. We moved back to the States to start coaching. And um, really enjoyed coaching because I wanted to stay part of the game for as much as I could because it's just in your blood and um, coached up in Alaska, some high school and some uh, AAA midgets. And then I uh, had an opportunity to come back to Sweden. My wife is from there. So we moved back and, you know, was up in Norway for a while coaching with the national team and uh, with Komet and Lauren Skug there. And during that time, I really got into skill development. I've always had the skill development side because I used to do camps as, um, as like a guest instructor when I was back in the States and started my own company. But starting to see like how the game was starting to evolve, it really got more into it where we as coaches would look a little bit too much just at the tactical side. And even though like my personality as like a teacher side of it was you wanted to get the players to understand the game more. I really dove into like that CLA nonlinear uh, pedagogy uh, side of it to try to see if I can help the players more. And it just became more and more of a passion. So over in Europe, uh, when I was coaching, I started getting some consulting contracts down in Switzerland and um, kind of snowballed its effect where it landed me up in Russia, where I had an offer to come here to be like their skill development uh, player coach. And now it's where I'm the director of the player development for the club, as well as the uh, main main skilled instructor for uh, the KHL and our top two junior teams. You already explained a little bit that the, a little bit about your background, but could you even describe a little bit more in depth how did you get interested in skill development what do you find so fascinating about it you mentioned already a bit a little bit non-linear pedagogy and constraints that approach what was fascinating about it is that when you look at like the traditional way like how how we look at um, developing players or, or or skills if you want to call it that or technique you would always see like how everything was very templated out. You're going to do a stride this way. You're going to handle the puck this way. You're going to, you know, stick or shoot the puck this way. And it was always broken down into like it's uh, smallest pieces. And we're trying to fit everybody, like say from the seven-year-old age range all the way up. And you're trying to remold people into this quote unquote template. But what you're starting to see was like how different players were actually moving depending on their body type, depending on their play style and everything else you're looking at, seeing how they move. And it really got into me. It was like, okay, there, there has to be a different way to do this because, you know, we are producing high quality players, but the problem is that you're seeing them look good in practice, but you're not seeing them transfer all that information into the games. So it really got into me. So I started diving into books and, um, you know, scientific uh, research that what can we do as a, as a developer, as a teacher to help them go, which just forced my way to gain away from the team tactical side of it and behind the bench into more of that personal relationship with the player, because in my head, that personal relationship with the player is how we're going to develop them. No matter what the age is, if they're seven years old, if they're 30 some years old, 
because everybody's going to be different where now you get to be able to sit there and template out their game, their style and their movement patterns. And then you get to be a little bit more creative in the way that you're going to produce that environment on the ice for them to develop. So that, that, that's what intrigued me. Ted, you just mentioned that the, the way we're really going to develop these players is, is that connection that we make with them. So what have you learned about that or what are the kind of challenges you face working in so many different cultures uh, in the States and in Sweden, Norway and Russia and kind of all over the place? What, what have you learned and picked up from that in terms of just developing those relationships? Well, the, the main thing is trying to really understand the player, right? So we as instructors, we as coaches, it doesn't really matter what you want to call us. Um, we tend to always have the answers. And we tend to force those answers or those solutions onto the players all the time. It doesn't matter what background they are. It's just like, this is our team. This is what we're going to do. I'm the instructor. Um, what it's taught me is actually sit back a little bit and then work side by side with that player. Because I may have some solutions to things like that. But what I've noticed is that coaching in the States, coaching in Sweden, coaching in Switzerland, Norway, um, Germany, here, they all come from different backgrounds and their cultures are completely different than what I grew up in as well. So what, what that's forced me to do is actually start to understand them, which is just giving me an array of different answers and solutions to, to different ways and different personalities that they have. So when you actually, I step back and what I like to do is I like to actually sit there and talk to them face to face before we even get on the ice to start and understand what, what they want to get out first of all, what they want to get out of the game. And then secondly, what they want to get out of their personal gain, because that's very important to me. And then gain a little bit of their background as well, like, you know, family and, you know, how they grew up and stuff like that. So it, it's a, it's a dive that, you know, it's a deep dive into their personal life that really helps them me understand how we're going to be able to connect. Because if I can't connect with them, then that relationship, that 45 minutes on the ice is not going to be as productive as it could be. Yeah, that's, that's great. So moving on a little bit, your, your company, um, Soiken and Hockey, uh, they have a hashtag that's skills that, skills that translate. Can you describe a little bit more about what that means and, and kind of how you guys came up with that? Well, it's just, you know, we're working on skills that, it, I mean, the hashtag is, you know, pretty self-explanatory it's going to be something that we're going to be able to do that's going to translate into their games so whatever age level they're at the skills that they're working on have to translate directly to their game and then also at, for that next level as well that they're going to go into so we don't basically we don't waste any kind of time on the ice doing quote-unquote fundamentals or you know technique-based stuff that's just kind of like a filler in my opinion so what we like to do is we like to dive deep into stuff that's actually whatever level that they're going to be at is translated into their game so that they can take that from that training and go directly and use it so when they're able to do that for me it just feels like that even brings more confidence into a player that okay what I'm working on is going in the right direction which then opens up so many more doors because now you're starting to get questions from those guys Whereas before, um, when you're doing the quote unquote, um, you know, fundamental techniques and skills that you want to be able to see, 
like I was talking about earlier, is basically me directing everything. And then the players just kind of being like little soldiers and just doing whatever they're supposed to do. But you don't see that responsiveness in their face. Like, it's, this is fun. This is something I really want to work on. So that skills that translate has always been something where it's like, okay, here we go. I, I'll have an idea. And then this idea, let's see how many different like little legs it has to, to, to come off of it to, to develop for the game and see how they can actually translate it. It's a very interesting and very powerful hashtag overall. And I, I wanted to ask you because these, it's so meanwhile it's so crucial that as the hashtag is explaining as well that the skills you are practicing, that these go right away in the game. And in comparison to, for example, if we take under-20s and let's say under-14s and under-13s, how would an open session look for under-20s in comparison to under fourteen, so they have actually the opportunity to transfer these skills into the game because they are so different in their cognitive development, as we have been discussing on our show already. Right. You know, like when we're looking on the cognitive side, so if we're taking like the under 20 guys, right? So they've, they've been in the game a little bit longer. The game's a little bit faster, obviously, than when you're looking at a under 14 or under 13 level. So they, they've, they've seen stuff. They understand how, how space opens and closes a little bit quicker and how they have to, you know, speed up that brain. Whereas the under 13s, for example, if we go with that lowest level that you gave, it's going to be a little bit longer open, right? So as an example, like one of our like skills of the day that we might be working on is um, creating and taking away space. So for the under 20s, um, our MHL team, we'll work on that and, and we'll work on closing that space and time quickly. So how do we open that? What kind of skills are we going to use inside that? What is it going to be a tight turn? Is it going to be a weight shift in? Is it going to be a linear crossover coming in to get off the boards and open up that backspace that you're going to have? And what we'll do is we'll add different players inside of that as well. So almost giving it like a more of a game feel, but without as much pressure as a game where they're having to turn their head, they're having to use their eyes, they're having to scan the ice to see where space is coming at, where it's going to be open up later for somebody else to come in and where they're going to be placing that puck. So we're going to open that up and we're going to give them that freedom inside there to actually be able to manipulate it in that sense. But then when we get down to the under 13s, we may be using a few more cones to put them inside the area. So we're going to constrain them a little bit more. We're not, we might not add as many players inside of it to start just so that they start to get the feel to get off the boards. How are they coming off? How are they entering into that area? And then we'll speed it up as that practice goes on. So if, if I look at it from that kind of a sense, the under twenties, we start right away. We start with pressure right away. And if you go down to the younger levels, we're going to work a little bit more on technique because a lot of those guys are still going North and South, right? they're still using their physicality. They're still using their, their best assets that they have, whether that's speed or, you know, quickness or agility, they're using that to survive where they're not having anything else that's going to be supporting it. So what we're looking at there, we may close it down, like I said, and then we'll just look at them to start. How do they start it? I'll usually just open it up. This is what we want to see. And then I want to see what they're going to do with it. And then we'll go back to the video and we're going to be looking at it and saying, okay, this is good for now but we need to add to this. We got to add this layer in. We got to start pushing this in. You have to be able to get off the boards here because you need to create this space behind you. 
whether that's for a trailer, whether that's for your own escape route. And you have to understand that by coming into this area, you're going to have players coming in at you as well, which is going to create space on the other side. So we're working on kind of different ways. It's just, for me, it's just that we complicate it more at the start for the upper levels. And then we kind of simplify it more for the lower levels and then build up on that. I think that approach is, if you do this with these younger guys, it's very, it sounds very logical to me. And I think it's, if you, if we really do it this way, then it's really interesting. How do we actually, actually develop also the skills over the years? And because the skill development fields is such a very broad field, as we have been hearing also now in our conversation with you. And actually, how do you make sure that you educate yourself in such a best field? Well, first and foremost, the education is coming from the player's start, right? So, you know, you already have a background in, in, in reading about, you know, like the sports science, the CDL, you know, the CDA and everything else like that. Um, that's there. But then also the, the players themselves, they're on that continual education for myself each and every day. So I'm starting to pick up different nuances of whatever is happening inside that player. So that's going to continually educate me because I take notes on every player every single day. So each guy's got a notebook knowing where they're going to be at so I can continually try to progress them. And for myself, you know, it's just, you know, reading scientific things um, in, in the fields of cognitive processing, CDL or CDA, um, ecological dynamics. These are the areas where I keep diving in because new information keeps coming out and trying to see how I'm looking at that and how I'm implementing it all the time and how does it fit whichever age level I'm at at that moment. Because that can, you know, that that line that the players are on, it's always changing. And every single day is a different day for that player. So if I'm doing my stuff right, they should have grown from yesterday to today. So now how do I grow with them? And if I don't keep my notebooks, if I don't keep educating myself on them, I'm doing them a disservice. So it's, it's, it's a continued education, whether it's reading something, whether it's taking a class, um, neurobiology or whatnot. But at the same time, the player is going to be my best, my best information source because whatever I have in my head means nothing if it's not going to be able to translate into that kid and it's going to help him on that day. Do you think that that goes the other way as well? Like, do you think it's important for, for you to kind of explain to the players why you're doing um, a certain skill this way or teaching it a certain that way or anything like I, that? Of course. I mean, the players are always in the loop on everything. There, there's no like there's there's no guessing like okay what's ted gonna do today you know um e even at the younger levels um i think that'll be a little bit easier and we'll, we'll work our way up on that but at the younger levels they'll get like um their coaches when i'm going to come out on the ice with them and whatnot they're already getting the practice idea not the practice plan as far as drills and stuff like that because the drills are just the concept um they're getting the ideas of what we're trying to look at what we're trying to learn what we're trying to force on the on the player to to understand and then we have a meeting with the players before we get on the ice saying this is what we're looking for all right this is what we're going to be this is where we're going to be going after now the environment's going to change so it's not always going to be the same but it's going to be an underlining current on that that you're you're going to be looking at and that's what we're going to be trying to understand with you guys so they're they they get into a different deep focus on that right as we move up and up into the junior level, um, now it's more of a collaboration, right? So I come up with the concept and now I'm talking with them because it's going to be relative to their game, 
And some of the skills that we're working on, we try to group up with the players who's lacking stuff. So we, we usually at their junior teams, we have groups of five on the ice for 45 minutes. So like we try to group the players into, into areas where they're having similar difficulties and things where we want to enhance it. And then also some of them are excelling at different things, but also lacking, lacking the secondary um, sec secondary skill that they can exploit space, but then they can't get out of it or they can't use it correctly. So that we're trying to find different ways to um, incorporate both of them. But at the same time, the feedback that's coming from them telling me, this is what I feel. This is how I am. This is what I've seen before or, you know, like different areas on the ice that they want to be in. Now that's that collaboration where we're trying to work together on that. So getting a, a little bit more practical in the, in a sense now, um, I think everyone kind of has a little bit of a different opinion on this. So in your opinion, what is the, the best or what is the skill that can give you the biggest advantage uh, in the game of hockey? The biggest advantage is going to be what you can see. I mean, <clears throat> I know everybody's going to talk about skating and I know that's the biggest thing you read on Twitter and everywhere else where skating is the number one skill. Well, of course it is. It, 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 of course, because we have to be able to skate to be able to play the game. There's, there's no question about that. But when we're talking about things, we have to be able to understand what we're seeing in front of us. And to be able to do that, your brain has got to be operating. So if I see something, it might, okay, I see it, but what am I going to do with it, right? So for me, the, the number one skill, and this has to start at the youngest levels, is you got to be making decisions right away. And you got to be understanding what you see, why you see it, what you want to exploit from it. If you're not making decisions at the youngest levels, we're starting to get into that area where we're just relying on our skills, our physicality, depending on what we have at the younger levels. And those don't translate as they go up sometimes. I mean, if I'm the biggest kid at seven years old and at 12 years old, I can use my physicality to get me through the games and coaches will use me because I can win games. But there's a certain period where that's going to, you know, dissipate. It's, it's gone. And then what do you have left? And even like the young guys that are very highly skilled as far as skating, as far as stick handling and shooting, they score all the goals. They can walk the team and everything else, but they don't know, you know, like how they're making the decisions, where the guy should be going. Where's my space at? Um, how do I move the puck to get the puck back effectively later? So I think the number one skill that we have to be working on is, is decision-making and understanding what the player's seeing and what he's thinking about what he's seeing. So that there's going to be a lot of like decision-making in your, in your um, trainings. And then there's gotta be a lot of questions back and forth between the players and the coaches, because I think that's where we start to get, because skating, every single drill that we do on the ice is skating. And it doesn't matter what you're doing. You're always going to be skating and you can always take the time out where you can, if you find something in that player, like what we do, we can take them out of that drill quick and we can isolate it for two minutes. We can isolate that skill quickly for two minutes and then tell them, get back in there and let's see it happen again. There's no problems with isolating out a player, taking a couple of minutes to show them something that we want to be able to see and then throwing them back into the mix and then see what he does with it. So when we, again, when we're talking a little bit about skill development, 
how do you break them actually down and is there a limit to how much a skill can be broken down i think the skill can be broken down um let me put it this way i think the technique can be broken down to the level of what the player is at so understanding what his body movement is and everything else we can break it down to that you know obviously the skill is going to be how does he apply that inside of an environment How does he take that technique and how does he imply that? So now it's going to be his own expression. And as Bernstein said, you know, like when we do reps after reps after reps, um, everything's going to always look different because of the, the environment's ever changing. So we have to be very careful as skill developers to, to constantly try to put our take on the technique onto that player we have to be able to sit there and we can break it down and i think you can only break it down to that person himself it's it's individual so we have to be able to understand what his physical capabilities are you know maybe he can't bend the 90 degrees in his in, in his skating strider per se right maybe he's got a little bit of a gretzky hump always skates forward a little bit he's not going to do his perfect spine or he's more like that jack eichel he's up and perfect right or perfect quote unquote, but you break it down to that individual and then you want to be able to see how he can move there. And then you can try to refine it to the part where it's going to be a little bit more easy for him to understand and a little bit more easy for him to actually maneuver it. But that's where our eye as, as an instructor has to come into play. We have to be in tuned with every kid that's doing a rep on the ice you can't just put together a training environment, sit back and be like, okay, five minutes before the next station, right? Or five minutes before the next drill. You have to be able in tuned and you have to be able to watch keenly on them. So if the number one skill that I want to see from players is what they're seeing, what their decision-making is, then my number one skill as a coach has to be, what am I seeing that they're doing and how can I impact that to make them better at it? So how do you know when when it's time to progress for an athlete what are some of the signs that you see that they're ready for the the next layer the next step for a skill well i think what you're doing is like so when if we go back to the last question like how much do we break it down i mean for me it's like we can't break down everything into its simplest steps and the reason why is because it doesn't matter. We're trying to handle the puck. We're trying to see, and we're trying to skate, right? So we have all those three kind of in that sense. And then we're trying to pass the puck if we have it, with the, which is number four. So whenever I'm trying to do something with the guys, I'm putting two to three different skills already impacted inside of one area. So now if I can see once one technique, one skill is already starting to evolve itself and, and get better. That, but then I see the second part of it not taken enough that we're going to handle and try to work on that second part. But maybe that inside is good. But the first part is how does he enter into it? How, what, what's his positioning? What's his footwork? What's he, how is he looking at when he's coming into it? Maybe that's lacking. Maybe that skill's not there. So now you're just trying to, you know, build upon build on around that central area where you're trying to look at. And then you can just spider web off of that in a sense, but it's hard to say, like you can, I find it very hard to say, like, we're going to work on tight turns and then we're going to build on that one. And we're going to work on bringing the stick, you know, creating space with your stick. And then we're going to build on a give and go off of that. And how do I jump into that space? How do I use a crossover to after I pass the puck or crossover while I'm passing that puck to jump into space 
it's hard to break all three of those down and then try to put it back together like a car. Instead, I got to be able to see how does he utilize it? Where is he lacking at? And then the skill will just be able to actually start to evolve itself in front of my eyes by being, okay, we can add this part onto it next because you already did that, right? So let's build on that. Let's build on that exit or let's build on that catch and shoot to make it one motion instead of like two or three broken steps into it. So you, you, you just briefly mentioned, um, you know, a typical skill session, you know, how you're in tune with all of the, all of the players and everything like that. Can you dive a little bit more into that and, and kind of explain what a typical skill session looks like for you? And, and does that change whether you're working with, you know, younger athletes versus the, the pros and the KHL? Yeah. Like a typical skill session is like we said, like um, with our top guys, with our top teams, it's going to be about five, maximum eight guys on the ice and with those if we just go with the eight guys there's usually going to be four guys involved some may be passive but there's going to be four guys involved because i need to see sticks they need to see sticks they need to see space it doesn't matter where it's at they need to be able to pass the puck and they need to be able to get back into the open area so that it, it's going to evolve around around the game sense and what we do is we look at inside of them is we look at what their skills are inside there, depending on what that skill of the day is going to be. Um, and that just keeps evolving with more and more pressure, different areas, putting them in different parts, starting them different in, in, in the sense where maybe the pucks in the skates or whatnot pucks coming off the boards. So it's never a same start. It's always something's going to be changed inside of it. So I'm going to try to find some different ways that we can exploit and, you know, find things. Uh, but when we get down to the younger ages, there it's going to simplify a little bit. Like, I, like I've talked about before, it's, it, we're going to simplify it to a, uh, to a point where it's easily understandable. They can digest all the information right away. And then we're going to build up onto that, um, the complications of everything. We're going to build into it. But what you see is that when we start with the older groups, the fun factor is so much and the creativity factor becomes so high. And it's the same thing with the younger groups because they're not doing something that's robotic. They're not doing something that's gonna be over and over and over again. And what we do is we have a lot of video on it. So we're always watching video. So after a rep, we'll watch a video for a couple seconds, especially with the guy that went or whatnot. And we're doing the video with them and they're like, okay, what if I could have done this? What if I could have done that? Okay. Hey, you could have, but let's see, how do we, if you want to do that, how do we approach it into that? So, I mean, we have to be able to create something before we get into that. That's what you want to do. Because if you try to do that, that would have been closed in that situation. So how do we open it up? So now you really engage them. And then with the kids, the kids are fun because we just had a skill session last week. I think it was with the 2005 age group. And we're working on some like linear crossovers and a kickback coming back over and getting a shot off quick. And we just kind of put a couple like constraints out there and they're doing it. And then all of a sudden I just started jumping in putting my stick in there acting like a defender. And the whole rule was that like one of the rules was that you can't go 90 degrees. You can't go vertical. You can't go horizontal. You have to be going diagonal one way or the other. So all of a sudden I jump in with my stick and you had a rep after rep after rep and guys just saw my stick. They saw me coming and they're going back horizontal. So they're kind of across the blue line. And then one kid just 
puts it underneath the stick, gets his hip on my hip and cuts right back, right behind me and gets the shot off. And you're like, there it is. And then he goes, what did I do? I'm like, what, what, what did you do? I go, you, you went horizontal I, or you went, you went diagonal and you cut me off. You cut my hips off. You cut my, my ability. Oh, wow. And then we had one of the other coaches who had the video on him when we showed him, we showed the group when we're, we're showing him what happened. And all of a sudden you just saw, you just saw the lights come on. And then we just like, okay, now we take away these constraints. We just put a couple players in there and you guys move your sticks, but start seeing what you're trying to get in there. Then you just see like that creativity explode. And then you come back and you're like, Hey, what did you see? I saw how his feet were coming at this angle. So I decided I was going to cut that way. And what about the second guy? Yeah, I saw him coming up here. So I knew I had the space behind him in that area. So I just put the puck into a space and, and, and skate into it. And you're like, thank you. You know, it's like you guys are starting to understand it. And then later in the practice, we just put them in a small area game. And then what you were seeing was you weren't seeing as much puck or stick handling as I want to call it. You don't see as much of that stick handling, the toe drags and all that extra stuff. You saw more of the feet and the puck moving into, um, into areas. So you just saw them going at 45 degree angles coming into the zone. And then it was just like quick, 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 bang, bang. And then you had a couple of goals. And then we watched a video and we're like, we just worked on that guys. There it is. How did it feel? Like it was easy. It wasn't, it wasn't like, it goes, it was easy. I knew where I was going. I knew what I had to find. And you're like, there we go. So how do we just make the game easier and, and, and more processive? And especially inside that skills coaching, there's a lot of teaching involved as well. So what is the fine line between letting the players explore and, and instructing them? Well, I think it, I, I don't, I know it's a fine line, but I, I, I believe it, you know, the exploration and the instruction go hand in hand, right? Because as more as they explore, you're always going to have a teaching moment inside there. So I think like, that's where that feedback comes. Like if I can understand what they felt, what they saw and how they felt doing it. Now my instruction is going to be a little bit more palpable to them, right? They're going to be able to digest whatever I'm going to be able to give them. Uh, at the same time, I think video is very important when, we're, when you're doing this kind of stuff. Because I can tell you anything you want. I mean, I can see you. I can tell you. I can ask you how you feel. You can, you can give that back to me. But if you can't really see what I saw, you know, you're going to have that disconnect inside of there all the time. It might not felt great for you, but you did something that was good, right? But if you can't see what you did, you're going to go back to an old habit. You're going to do something different. But if you can see it, it's just going to um, solidify what I saw. It's going to solidify my instruction back to you and how you can improve. And then what you're starting to see is now you're starting to see that connection go back and forth. And that, that instruction to me has to be short. It has to be brief and it has to be very specific to them it's not a long-winded discussion it's nothing and it's not going to be this piece into that piece into that piece it's going to be here's this piece let's focus on that right now this is what you need to do let's do it so for me instruction has to be very precise like i can't remember who said it but you got to have a twitter feed on that right 
It's got to be short and brief, and it's got to be specific to them. So going into a, a skill session or a practice, how, how do you prepare for that for yourself? And how do you kind of um, get the, the energy level and the just kind of readiness for, for hopping on the ice and, and being attuned to every player on the ice? Hey, we're all in the hockey game, right? We're all, we're all in this sport. And so the enthusiasm for me is that I get to do this every single day. This is my dream job, right? So the enthusiasm is there right from the start. And um, the second I walk into the rink and I start seeing the kids and everybody's saying hi and everything else, whether they're young or whether they're old, it just pops in, right? We're having fun. We're doing something that we all love. Um, as far as how do I go about planning what's going to be happening, it's tons and tons of game video. So we watch video on every single player. Like I told you earlier, um, there's a notebook on every single player. So you're watching shifts. You're trying to build what their habits are. You're trying to build what their identity is. And then what goes on with that is then, then we go into, okay, how do we, how do we plan this session? How do we figure out? what's going to be the best route to develop right now? What's going to be the most impactful thing today? And if it's today, Tuesday, and we're having a game on Thursday, I want to see what we did on Tuesday be used Thursday. I don't want to see it be used three months down the road. It's got to be what is done today has to be put into place on Thursday's game. And then, Okay, that's put in place. And now it's just like that vicious cycle. It just keeps going back and forth, back and forth. We just keep going into it. Um, that's how we plan the practice sessions. Um, they're, they're, they're always based off of the last game that we had or, or a bunch of games that we've had before. So it just kind of like always evolves. And then we just keep getting notes and we, we keep having a timeline for those players. When we go down to the younger groups, it's, it's more of concepts, right? You're seeing what the, the older guys are doing. We, we understand what they need to have at that level. So we're understanding that if we're working with the U12s, we know what they need to have at the U13 level or what they're at the U13 up to the U14. We understand what the next level is going to bring. So how do we take those concepts and put together a practice plan for that hour, that 45 minutes that we're going to be with the younger group and give them something, give the coaches something that they can continually develop as well. And, the most important thing for the coaches on that side is that this is the reason why they have to have the contextual um, answers for why they're going to be trying to implement it with their players. And we're telling them like, okay, we're not going to be with you all the time, but what we need to be able to see is that whatever they do in the skill session, they have to do in the practice session with the team. And it's the same thing that we have with the MHLA, the, the, the KHL. We all have so many assistant coaches, goalie coaches, everybody that's around there. So if we can't jump on the ice with the team during their practice session, we always give them, they always are in the loop of what we're working on. And this is what we want to be able to see them do in practice. So you're just constantly instilling those good habits that they're trying to build in our sessions. So again, if we speak about <clears throat> practice development and skill development, especially, there's um, a lot of talking is going on between doing open and closed drills. And we wanted to ask you, is there a balance between using closed and open drills for you? And if so, why do you use each? I think there's a lot of, I mean, there's, there's benefits to, to, to both sides of it, right? So I think you can use both of them in, in, in the same context. I think I can use something that's going to be open 
and I can close it quickly as well. If I, if I see a general problem, I can close it very quickly and then I can reopen it. I don't want to be <clears throat> in one area too long though. I don't want to sit there in a closed environment, a, a closed drill, a closed practice for an entire time. I want to close it. I want to be able to open it back up. And the reason why I want to be able to do that is because if I close it, we're going to work on something specific. And if I can close that area quickly to get them to understand the concept, get them to understand the skill, whether it's weight shift, whether it's like a, you know, a soft catch receiving shot, I can close it quick, but I have to open it up again very fast because all of a sudden they need to be able to get that contextual of the environment inside of that right away. Um, I, I believe that if we stay close too long, <clears throat> we get the feeling as a coach that we've, we've accomplished something could be, we've established flow. We've established something that looks pretty. And if it looks good, you know what, you're all, everybody's like, Oh, that was a great practice. Everything flowed perfectly, but did it. I want, I want like what I call it controlled chaos a little bit. So I have to close, be able to get something out of them to make them understand something. Then I got to open it up. I don't think you should stay in any set one too long. I think it's got to be an open up, close it, open up, close it kind of like thing throughout the entire practice. So thinking about that and then kind of thinking about the, the challenge level for the athletes, uh, is there a good ratio do you, in your, in your mind, the, between kind of success and failure when you're trying to learn a skill? Yeah, I think it's, I think like it's, it's easier to go down to like the younger levels because I think the older levels, they have a little bit more of that maturity. So they have a little bit more confidence. They have a better mental side to them. So <clears throat> the success rate on those guys, I can, I can, I can make it a 40% success rate where a 60% fail, right? Because they're mentally strong enough to actually take in a lot more instruction and understand things. It, it's just on that maturity level. With the younger groups, I'd like to flip that. Maybe say a 70% success rate with a 30% fail and then try to work myself down on that, right? Trying to bring them down. <clears throat> because I think if you can instill the confidence into the player at the start on the onset at the younger levels, if we can instill that uh, confidence, they're going to be more willing to try different things later as well. Right. So you're going to open up that creativity where if I close that down to say that 40% level of success and a 60% fail, all of a sudden they may just go into like, okay, I'm just going to play it safe. We don't want that safeness, right? We want to be able to have some kind of confidence and see what kind of creativity that they can instill as well. So I, I think it plays a good, um, a good ratio to start with the younger levels. And I say under, under 14 and down 15s and 16s, they're starting to get into that junior level. They're going to be making that next jump. They got the TV pook in uh, Sweden and, and I'm sure in Finland, they can't, I don't know what exactly they have there, but they're getting to that national team level areas. Right. So, you can start to give them a little bit more of a 50, 50 or 40, a 40, 60 there. But I think under, under 14 years old, 13, you and everything like that, I think, you know, 70% success rate with a 30% fail rate is, is pretty good. And then you as a coach can start to, you know, maneuver depending on what your group is. And once again, that's where you as a coach come in into play as how, in, how in tuned are you with your players and their mental aspects of the game? Right. Can they handle, can they handle a little bit of criticism? Can they handle a little bit of failure? 
If they can't, okay, then raise that success level up a little bit more to instill some confidence in them and then bring it down and bring it up. So you, you're just constantly adjusting it. That's really interesting. And I think that that's something um, we, we've talked about a lot in schools, this idea of uh, confidence and then kind of how that impacts your motivation and everything of the player. So uh, thanks for that answer. Um, <laughs> talking a little bit about um, how you decide which, which skills to work on with, with which athlete, we've talked about that already today. So we've, we talked to uh, Tommy Niemela, the, the head coach of the, pelicans here in lati um and he he was talking about how he decides on what to work on with a, with each athlete so i was wondering how much of um how much input does the athlete actually have and and how much do you have to balance between what the athlete wants to improve versus what the team needs the athlete to improve on well as a skill instructor um it's very important to understand what the team concept is what's a, what's a team structure I mean, we have to understand exactly what that is. Um, we can't go outside and say, okay, you, you cannot play. You can't be the enemy. You can't go and tell the player, okay, this is what you're going to do. Forget what the coach said, right? This is, he was wrong in this situation. You, you can't do that. And I think that, you know, I think sometimes that goes into play here with some of the skill instructors that are out there where you're, you're trying to mold a player into something, but he doesn't fit inside that structure. I, it, it has to be meshed, right? I always look at um, as a team, as a house. So like in the States, we have like the sub developments, right? So contractor buys a lot and he's like, I want every house to look exactly the same as you see in American neighborhoods. So every house on a whole entire block looks exactly the same on the outside, the household, you know, the, the homeowner association. But like I always tell the players, I'm like, okay, the outside structure, and this is my analogy for it, my outside structure is all going to look the same. That's our team. The inside structure, though, is you. You are that owner of that house. So how do you blend and how do you create yourself inside that house? So like everybody's house is going to be different on the inside. I might be more Scandinavian. Maybe you guys are a little bit Russian inside your house. I don't know. But you're a little bit of shade carpet or whatnot, but you're going to have it a little bit different. So we have to understand one, what the team structure is Two, We have to understand what the player type is. What's his role in the team. And also what are his best assets and how does he affect that team positively? Right. Positively. And also on the same front, how does he affect the team negatively? So now we have to be able to build and we have to work inside that structure for that player to be his most complete player inside there. And we're not saying that he's going to, we're not going to reduce him to a role. We're going to take what he is good at and we're going to enhance it. So he becomes even more effective inside of that. And then we're going to take his negative sides and we're going to try to build those up as well. So he's not going to become a liability on the ice. So that that's that decision-making that's where you're going to be on the ice how do you perform yourself to get open a little bit better for a, for a breakout? Or, you know, sometimes even in a skill session is how are you playing defensively? Because you got to be able to react and see what's happening. So we also go into the defensive side of stuff, like how, how are, how's our agility? How's our stick on stick play? Where's our shoulders at? How are we lining up our hips? So we're, we're working on both sides of it. And where the player comes in is that he's going to tell you what he wants. Right. And I can always, like I always say, we're just camouflaging it. I'll never try to put a player down and say, we're not going to work on that. 
I'll never, I'll never just give them a straight answer. Say, no, 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 no. Okay. You want this, you want this, you want this. That's fine. Okay. How do I camouflage it into inside that structure? So it's, it's basically he, he's getting what he wants, but at the same time, I'm working in conjunction with the team, with the club, because we're trying to get these guys up into the KHL and the guys that are up on the KHL side of it as well. We're, they're trying to win games. I mean, it's everybody's job on the line there as well. So how do I take what they're having and then how do I camouflage it so that they always feel like they're part of the process? Yeah, now you mentioned already the KHL piece. And as we all know, it's a pretty long season there and pretty tight schedule. So how do you actually ensure that your players are continuously developing in the KHL? Uh, the KHL schedule, like the first two months that we have, like July and August, they're pretty, it's, it's training camps. So there's a lot of work that can be done there. And we're focusing a lot with the younger players that are up at that KHL level to try to make sure that they're effective when they're getting into the game. As the season progresses, though, like you said, there's a lot of travel. There are games are every other day and whatnot. So a lot of that's going to be into, like, um, video sessions. Like, we'll get uh, – we have instat and everything else like that. So we get the shifts. We break down the videos for the guys. And there's, like, a lot of using huddle or coach's eye drawing on the drawing on the ipad talking into the screen and sending it to the guys and showing them what they're having so we're not contradicting anything that the coaches are trying to do we're just trying to enhance what their better understanding of the, what their skills are and then when we do have a little bit of time whether it's during that goalie session at before practice we'll get a couple guys on the ice and we'll work on it and we're trying to make sure that we're not overloading them too much because like you said that's you know especially here when you're having to travel out to the far east It's a long, it's a time difference and everything else. And even the bus rides. So we're trying to make sure we don't overload, but we're trying to make sure that all the stuff that we're giving them is very short. It's simple and we can be effective in it. So like I told said earlier, if we have a game today and we have a quick practice in the afternoon today for, for a half hour, they're going to be ready to go on, on Thursday for that game and be able to implement stuff right away. So it's, it's, a lot of time management, but they're not as intense now during the season. So we always have like preseason. It's very intensive where we're working on a lot uh, in season. It's, it's here and there it's spotty, um, but we're making sure that our, our practices are dialed in. And then after the season as well, then we get back into trying to rebuild and everything else for the upcoming year to try to enhance. But I always call like the in season for the KHL is more of a maintenance area. But video is number one. Yeah, there's actually a, we actually interviewed him also, Yuka Vaman, and he was coaching in the KHL in China for Kunlun Stars, and he has been sharing similar stories to us. So it's always very interesting to talk about how do we actually fit it inside such a tight schedule? Because even though it's it's a it's a big league, but it's it must be very difficult to continue to compete at a high level if you do not continue to develop your skill set. And I wanted to ask you also that. Because a very popular constraint is playing with the space. And I wanted to ask you, when do you use small-sided areas and when do you use big-sided areas and why? The small-sided games that we play, we do – so all of, our, all of our skill practices are about 45 minutes. We're in and we're out. They're not longer than that. Attention span is there. And what we'll try to do is, like, if we have a concept, every single one's going to have – some kind of game, some kind of small area, um, area that we're going to be working on. 
and they're always going to be intertwined. So when we play like those kind of games, um, whatever our skill part was at the start, we're wanting to see how they execute it in a smaller area. And we want to see them execute it in a game. And I think the biggest thing that what we, what I've accomplished with this is that the environment leading up to the game is very similar to it. So, like I said, if we're using defenders and we're using passive, you know, passive areas there, we're starting to see that already, you know, it, it already looks like a game in a sense. But then when we put them in the games, the guys want to score goals. That's great. But what we look at, it, we look at point system for ourselves. We give points like, did you execute the skill? You know, inside there. And if they executed it, great. What was the result? And every time they execute a skill that we worked on at the start, they get a point. So now the team that executed the most skills actually wins in our minds. So we show them. Uh, the bigger surface, uh, we don't we don't have the numbers uh, with my with my practices to, to have a bigger surface. So what we always focus is on that small areas. And, and the small areas, we always keep the rink kind of basically the same. So the net's always going to be in the same position. It's just going to be how do I constrain it into the different areas of that zone so that everything stays rele um, relevant to the player. So like the space, the, the areas where they can shoot and everything else, it's going to be more in that sense towards the game. So I don't, like with, with our older guys, we don't put the nets on the boards. We don't put the nets in the corner. We just keep the net hanging there and then we just kind of build out outside there so everything stays relevant so to to kind of finish off the conversation here ted we have a couple more questions for you and the, the first one is kind of a, a listener slash former guest question um and it actually comes from from one of your tweets um a while ago and it's uh, i'll read the tweet here it says players are a whole players as a whole are both naturally creative and problem solvers. It's, it's the coaching society that stifles these two ingredients. The question is how can we, how can you make your trainings more engaging and intertwined with these two aspects that the players possess? Um, and what our um, classmate Branny wants to know is, is what, what's your answer to that question? <laughs> no, but if you, you know, I have, I have a seven year old and I have a 14 year old as well. Um, but she's my 14 year old is an artistic, uh, girl and she's been artistic her whole life, like just drawing, creating stuff and everything else like that. And then I got my seven year old kid and he's into dinosaurs and all that, but he also plays hockey. So when you look at kids and if we just forget about hockey for a second, we just look at kids he's my perfect example of everything else because he's still in that fantasy land that he believes that dinosaurs are still here, right? He can go out into the backyard back in Sweden and all of a sudden you have Jurassic Park there somehow. He's very imaginative. He's very, he can get everything happening at once inside his own head. So to me, they're very creative in that sense. When he gets on the ice, he's watched so much hockey. I feel bad for the kid, but he's watched so much hockey because he lives with me. <laughs> And his favorite player is Patrick Kane. Okay, but he, he plays more like an Ovechkin because he likes, he's only seven, but he likes to take the body and likes to score goals. So he's not like the, the guy that's going to be stick hounding everywhere else. But what you see with him on the ice is that he's in his own world. Like he's trying to do his own stuff out there. He's trying to create something. Then you ask him later, like, what, what were you thinking there? Oh, man. 
I thought I saw Patrick Kane do this here and I was trying to do that and it didn't work, but I still scored. Okay. That's great. You know? And I, I think like where we get tied up in, especially at the youngest age levels, when we're talking about earlier in the podcast, we're talking about um, making sure that we have, have that creativity, making sure we instill that confidence and everything else that we have. The youngest age levels is our most impressionable levels. Kids are sponges. We do not give them enough credit for learning stuff and being who they are. We don't let them express who they are on the ice sometimes because we as a coach, too many times we want to be drill sergeants because you got parents up in the stands. If you're running a camp, you got parents watching, you got the board, you got everybody there. So on the ice, you want to have, boom, stand in line. Boom, execute this. Here's a bunch of tires, skate around them and score. Now, if you're having a video of that session and everything's flowing on the ice and, and people are understanding what that's, those techniques are, it looks great. But are we, inhabit, are, are we um, inhibiting the players from expressing who they truly are? Because kids, let's be honest, they just want to get out there and play hockey. That's all they want to do. They don't want to stand in line. And when they stand in line, they start getting disruptive. They start slashing each other. They start falling over. They're looking up at the ceilings. They're doing everything. But I think when I talked about that, saying that I think we take the creativity out of the player, we create more robots. I think we need to be a little bit more loose. If you can study a teacher that's like a kindergarten teacher, a preschool teacher, or anything else like that, they explore all the different levels of creativity with the kids. They let them draw. They let them, you know, fantasize. They let them put on plays inside of school and just be who they are. I think we should be able to adopt that into hockey as well. And when we can play a little bit more small area games, I think that's the biggest learning environment for the younger kids. Okay, sure. We need to have some kind of techniques, but if we're going to work on a technique right away, you should jump into a small area game. Work on something for five minutes, play a little bit of a game, let them be who they are, get them back in, let them be who they are again, and not criticize them all the time, not try to overcorrect the younger kids either. I think the more you overcorrect, the more pressure you put on them, the more pressure you put on them, the more self-worth that they don't really have. Like if we think about them in a, if you think about any kind of relationship, the more your wife or girlfriend criticizes, you're like, oh God, here we go again, right? <laughs> And I think it holds true. It's just like being a parent. The more you tell your kids, no, 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 no. All of a sudden you're just trying to get them to be okay. They have to understand where, where the rules are. And that's in hockey too. They have to understand what the rules are, what we're trying to accomplish. But we as coaches need to be able to just allow them to be them, see what they can bring to the table, have some fun with it. And then, you know, inside of there, we can instruct but it's, it's that fine line where you just got to be that little controlled chaos and, and back to instruction as well. So Ted, regarding the topic, what would be your final message to coaches out there about skill development? Don't get stuck. Don't get stuck into the, um, to the Instagram phase um, where you're trying to do all kinds of different kinds of tricks and stuff like that. Those are fun. Uh, you can add those into your practices here and there. But if we're talking about like skill development, be creative in the way that you're trying to create an environment 
where you're going to have a little bit of competition involved inside of there. And when you're inside of that competition areas is now when you as a coach can actually sit there and look and start to instruct and start to understand what your players are actually trying to do. And when I say inside that um, playing environment, you can break those down into stations. They don't always have to be small area games. They can be tactical size. They can be individual um, skill or individual tactics. Look at the game and look at your players, but make it something that's going to be relevant to what they're going to have to experience when they actually go into a game itself. Um, you know, like keep the sticks in their hands, keep the pucks in their, you know, keep the pucks on their sticks try to get multiple movements happening at once. So you really, as a coach can start to understand how their bodies are moving and then, you know, slowly and, and surely start to evolve inside of there. Don't just run a step-by-step -step process by saying, okay, we're going to work on skating. Now we're going to work on stick handling. Now we're going to work on this. Try to uh, take everything and put it all in one because kids are problem solvers, right? So the more problems you can give them, the more they're going to be able to solve it quicker. The more that they solve it quicker, the more neurological um, stuff has happened up inside their brain. And now you're going to be able to really see what that player is capable of doing and what they're not capable of doing. And then from there, you can branch off into seeing how we're going to be able to instruct on that and create something that's going to be more, more towards the players and not towards ourselves, our personal fulfillment. Well, great final message, Ted, and thanks for, for thanks for joining us today. I think it was a really interesting conversation. So uh, best of luck for the rest of the season. And yeah, just thanks once again. Well, thank you guys for having me on. It was a it was a blast. I really appreciated it. So first of all, one more time, thanks to Ted for taking the time and joining our show. It was a blast talking to him about skill development and we hope that everyone who has been listening to it has been taking away something new from it. And my first key takeaway from that conversation with Ted today was that um, we really need to try to work more on the cognitive side of the game when we work on skill development at the same time. Again, we are talking very often that coaches, we coaches, we are session designers and we, we are architects of the environment. And uh, when we have skilled session or practices, practices, they need to be designed in a way that the skills we actually want to work on, they need to be hided in the, hided in the practice so the players they are working actually unaware on these at the same time. Yeah, and I think, you know, I'll go back to what you just said, architecting the environment. And I think he, he mentioned it really well. Um, be creative in the environment that, that you create for your players. And I think, you know, if I'm thinking back at kind of the practice plans that we do and we create for our team, Rick, like that's, that's one of the most fun pieces of coaching. You know, you get to, you get to really create games, constraints, drills, anything that you create, you get to, you get to be so creative in that. And you have to really put a lot of thought into it. And it's, a, it's just constant problem solving for you as a coach and, and constant thinking. And I think that that's, um, that's one area where coaches can really be creative in, in what they do and, and what they have their players do on the ice. And, you know, the, 
the other really big thing for me from from this conversation with Ted is is how he educates himself. You know, he mentioned you know reading some scientific articles, reading up on CLA and LP, all that stuff. But he also gets educated from the players. You know, he talks to them. What are they seeing in the games? What are they feeling? And and he gets so much education just from conversing with his players. And I think that that's a really powerful message as well, and and shows the impact that that players can have, and and also the the ability of players to, to kind of know what they, they need a little bit and be able to share that with you as a coach. And I think that's, um, that's a really powerful message as well. Yes. And at the same time, I think that goes back to one of the principles of training, which is individualization because he really takes the time and talks to his players. I think he mentioned in the episode that he has about every single player, a notebook. And I think that's something very, very interesting because there are so many things going on at the same time and when you really take the time talk to the player and you write the things down you really know what the player actually wants to work on and i think that's the most important and most powerful education piece we we as coaches have um, can have because at the end of the day the players they need to know what they want to work on at a certain point of course there also needs to be certain guidance and certain age groups but i think with the players he's working with, the professionals and under-20s, they should understand their strengths and their development areas, and they need to be able to communicate these clearly. And what I also enjoyed so much about the conversation is that how he has been phrasing it, that the biggest advantage a player actually can have is what he or she can see in the game. But how we actually can teach this comes back to us coaches, and this needs to be... We, we teach this by forcing players to make decisions right away not when they're 18 because that's late they really need to make decisions 10 by the age of 10 but of course when they are 10 decision making should look totally different in comparison to when they are 20. Yeah I think so as well and you know it was really interesting um, he said it as well but it's understanding what you see and, and why you see it and then how you, how you can explain how you can exploit it. And I think that was a, a really powerful way to put it as well. And, you know, I, I think it goes back to, to that episode we have with Laura Andelin a few, um, I think about a month ago now. And, and we asked her, you know, when does autonomy start? And it's, it's, you know, you, you know that by just conversing with your players, knowing your players and, and giving them a little bit more as they get older and older. And it's the same thing with decision-making, you know, giving them a little bit more as they get older and older. And that's how you build that, um, kind of autonomy and decision-making skill in your players. And, you know, I, I also thought it was interesting when we asked him to, to kind of find the, the description for open versus closed drills in his practices. And, you know, he, he mentioned right away that he's not in the closed side of the, uh, of the spectrum for very long. And if, if he, if he does need to go into the close, it's specific and it's really quick and it's just for the players to get a hang of that. And then they're right back into the open environment and trying to manipulate that close skill into that open environment and learning how to put it into their game right away. And I think that's something that's really powerful. And, you know, he also mentioned that starting in an open and then going to close, if there's a, a general problem, just to let them get the hang of it and then jumping right back into the open, I think, you know, that's a, a, a great skill. And I think a lot of coaches get confused with, with how much time they should be actually be spending on the close side of the spectrum. And it's really, it's, 
we've heard it a lot now in our, in our studies and through our podcast, but it's as little time as possible in that closed space. And then you're right back into the open space. Yeah, I think it's a really, really, really good idea that you actually work in open environments. But when you see a player struggling with a certain skill, let's say you play a smaller game where the focus is on passing and you set this focus in the game as well, but you see the players maybe struggling, maybe struggling with it, or he comes to you and tells you that, hey, coach, this is not working so so well. Then there's, I mean, there's, let's, it depends how many players you have, but he has at least a minute rest. So maybe when he's resting, he can pass with someone else. So he he's isolating that skill, but then he's going right, right away back to the game environment. And what I also enjoyed so much about the conversation is that, of course, there needs to be that autonomy piece, but at the same time, we need to think about the competence as well. And I think we asked Ted then how, I don't remember 100% how the question was anymore, but um, he was saying that in under 20s, there should be, for example, 30% of failure and 60% of success. So at the same time, we really need to make sure that our athletes, they feel competent and that the balance between failure and success is pretty even and for the younger one he was mentioning for under 14s that it should be only 30% failure and 60% success I think especially with the younger guys if they if they're failing all the time of course it's important but they could get frustrated and we also need to think about the consequences what happens if they get frustrated then they may be not enjoying the game um, too much anymore and then they don't want to come anymore so we really need to make sure that every practice um, players have a reason to succeed and also what is what is really what really stand out to me in the conversation with Ted um, when he was saying that because sometimes it's really tough to evaluate what should you do which which player at, at which age but he was saying that we need to break the skills down um, to the player's capability and I think that's the most important thing if we see that a under 20 player has maybe problems with certain basics then he should maybe or she should maybe work on that instead of doing more difficult things yeah and you know going back to that success versus failure that was my my last big takeaway from this conversation i think it was as uh, someone on our our show in the past mentioned you know uh, an 80 percent success rate that's when you progress and that's when you you know get better and that's when you make it a little bit more challenging and I think that, you know, you want your players between that 40% success and that 80% success rate in order to, to have that appropriate level of challenge. And I think it was really interesting too, you know, it, it relates to what Heather Mannix was saying about, you know, kids don't have fun if they don't feel competent as well. And so giving them a little bit more success and, and helping them understand as they get older, as they get more mature, that, that failure, you know, it helps you learn, it helps you get better and it pushes you so that that failure rate goes up and up as the challenge goes up and up as well. And, you know, I think, you know, if I, if I can mention one more thing here before we wrap it up, I, I just liked how he said that um, you mentioned it as well, the development needs of the individual, you know, you don't want to reduce them to a, a role on the team. You want to, you want to develop them kind of holistically um, if I can say it that way. And I think that was a, a really important piece for, for me personally in my, in my coaching philosophy. So yeah, I think that's a, a good place to wrap it up for today. So thanks one more time for Ted joining us today. And, and you know, we will link his uh, Twitter, Instagram, and, 
and company's website in the show notes below. Make sure you follow him and, and follow up with what he's doing. He's doing some really interesting stuff and always posting some great tweets like we asked him in the, uh, in the show. So also don't forget to connect with the show on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at The Coaches Road. And check out our new homepage, thecoachesroad.com, where you can get in contact with us and, and check out some other stuff about the show. Once again, thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed, and we will see everyone next week.